I want to preach a word to you uh, from the subject, pick a side. Pick a side. You know, in, in church world, you would say, you know, you're not really supposed to pick a side. Friends with everybody, love your neighbor, all of this. But I want to go to an Old Testament passage uh, where really the prophet Elijah encourages the people of God to pick a side. And uh, I, want, I want to talk about this for a couple minutes out of 1 Kings chapter 18. I don't know if you've spent much time in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is wild. Man, you, can get, you can get lost real quick or scared or confused, you know, especially if you hate math. There's a whole book dedicated to numbers, you know, it's like, man, genealogy, you know, so-and-so, big at so-and-so, big at, it's like, does this matter? Uh, but it's incredible, the Old Testament has all kinds of truths for today, but not only that, there's a redemption thread that is woven in the Old Testament, T types and shadows of Jesus in the New Testament is seen all throughout the Old Testament. And so I want to go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verse 16. It says, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab. He was the king of Israel at the time. Went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, Elijah was the prophet of God, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? How would you like that greeting? Some of you are probably going to get that at Thanksgiving from your family. Well, here he comes, the troubler of the family. It's like, this is, this is what Elijah gets. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. Elijah wasn't those, one of those, like, just take it guys. He was kind of a clapback guy, all right? So this is his personality. He, he says, uh, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? I'm going to read this again. How long will you waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. He's, this is what Elijah's saying. Pick a side. Make up your mind. If you're going to serve God, serve him. You're going to serve the world, serve it. But just pick a side. But the people said nothing. It's interesting. The church is often quiet about things we should be loud about. We're loud about things we should be quiet about. It says, do not waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If, if Baal is God, follow him. It says, the people said, nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, Baal, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. I think that's how we should settle elections. Each, each, I'm joking, I'm joking. Each party, call, whoever can call down fire, you're going to be, you're, you're it. Uh, that's it. We need God's stamp of approval. 
This is one of the most famous showdowns in biblical history, is the showdown on Mount Carmel. And so the prophet Elijah has consistently warned the people of Israel. He has warned the nation to follow the commands of the Lord, to obey him. And Ahab, the king, and his wife Jezebel, the queen at that time, they, they, they hated Elijah. And in fact, when Elijah met Ahab, Ahab calls him, as we read, he said, here comes the troubler of Israel. And Elijah quickly turns it, he flips the script, and he says, hold on a second. He says, don't call me the troubler of Israel. It's because of you and your disobedience that you're in this mess. This time in history, the nation was in a famine. They had been in a famine for three years. It had been a drought and a famine. And Ahab is blaming the condition of the nation on Elijah. And Elijah was having none of it. He said, no, 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 hold on just a second. The reason you're going through what you're going through is because what you have failed to do. I want you to know this. It is easier to put blame on others than it is ourselves. It is way easier to try to fix someone else than it is to try to fix us. But I, I got news for you, all right? This is not for you. Don't worry about it. Just share this with somebody else. The only person that you have the power to control is you. That's it. The, the only person that you have the authority to control is you. The only person that you actually have the power to change is you. And Ahab comes to Elijah and he's, he is frustrated. He's angry at the condition of the nation. And he says, look at you, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, hold on, hold on. Don't pin that on me. If you would have obeyed, you would have never been in this mess. I want you to know this, that some of the mess that we live in is mess that we can't get away from or is not our fault. But some of the mess we live in is because of our decisions. And if you're not careful, the enemy will so deceive you to make sure that you pin your trouble on someone else so that you don't have to look at it. This might be for somebody else. Like I said, it's too, it's too much too soon. But like you might want to tell your husband or what. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Sometimes the best thing you can do for you is to not pin your problem on someone, but to say, this is where I'm at, and how do I change in the midst of it? Our world changed when COVID hit. And we can, we can complain about it. We can cry about it. We can be mad about it. Church life changed when COVID hit. We shut down for months, only online. And I could get mad about it. I could complain about it, but the problem is the problem. I can blame people, and at some point I just got to say, how am I going to change? How, how am I going to adjust to what's happening? Because we can't control what comes at us. The only thing we can control is how we respond to it. And so the prophet of God comes to Ahab, and Ahab begins to blame him. And I see this rampant in our culture and our world right now is we want to blame someone. For what we're going through. And I'll tell you this, it's, it, it, is, it is just like really popular to blame the prophet for what the people are going through. It, 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 it is the easiest place to blame is blame it on someone. Leaders, pastors, those in authority, parents. We're going to blame someone. But at some time, someday, we got to look in the mirror and say, this is what it is. 
This is the cards that I have been dealt, and now i got to decide what I'm going to do. In verse, in verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinion, opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. I don't know if we've ever been in recent history at such a critical juncture in our nation or in, the, in really the church, in how we respond and how we live. And I would have been thinking about this and praying in this, and I've never seen more wavering. I mean, we waver between two opinions. And I know what you're saying. Oh, no, Pastor, I'm, I'm committed. I'm a Christian. I, I, I get it. But there has been a lot of wavering. Let me just speak for myself. I've wavered. Not in my commitment to Jesus, not in my Christian life, but I've wavered from fear to faith. I've wavered from hopelessness to hopefulness. I've, I've had this wavering. You know, I, I found this to be true in my own life. When I'm, when I'm going through a lot of stress, when I'm under a lot of pressure, it is difficult for me to make very small decisions. You ever felt that before? It might just be me, but I'll be going out to eat, and I'll go to a restaurant, and if I'm under a lot of stress, I can't decide where to go. This happened to me just a couple weeks ago. I went to three restaurants. I pulled into the parking lot, put it in the park, about to get out. Nah. Put it back, drove to the next one. Literally got out of the car, got back in the car three times. Drives my wife crazy. That actually happens to me with clothes sometimes. We have reverse roles when it comes to clothes. I'll be in the closet, and she's like waiting to go, and I'll come out. She's like, you ready? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's go. And I'll say, actually, hold on a second. Go back. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to change real quick. Because I just, you know, I, I waver. I waver. And about two after about two times, she said, I'll be in the car. You just come out when you're ready. I'll come out in the garage. I'm like, does this look good? She's like, just let's go. Waver. When stress hits us, oftentimes we can see it in very small ways, but it also impacts very large ways that we waver. When I talk about wavering today, I want you to think about two things. I don't want you to think about just God and Baal. I want you to think about God and all he is and anything that's tried to imprison you, tried to pull you down, tried to discourage you tried to keep you in captivity. But Baal actually means Lord or owner. It means whatever owns you. So when I'm talking about wavering between faith and fear, this is what I want you to think about. I want you to think about, does fear own me? Or does faith own me? When I'm talking about hopelessness or hopefulness, does hopelessness own me? Or does hopefulness own me? This is what Elijah was saying. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. And let me just ask you this. How long will you waver between faith and fear? If faith is God, if, faith is, is, if God is full of faith, if he has faith, if he produces faith, then serve him. But if fear can do it for you, be in fear. I don't think anything's going away anytime soon. So I think it's just better to make a decision that I'm going to live in faith. It's better just to be hopeful. It's better to be 
positive. It's better to believe God. How long will we waver between two opinions? What's going to happen? We're in big trouble. And I'm telling you, I've never heard more bad news. I've never seen Christians more weighed down. I've never seen Christians more divided. I've never seen people more upset and angry. I'm going to tell you, it is time to shake it off and recognize God's still on the throne. He still has a plan. He's still moving. The kingdom of God is still advancing. And we can have hope in that. We can have faith in that. And we can, this is what Elijah said to, 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 to the, the people. He said, how long will you waver between these two, I want to say it this way, these two mindsets? How long will you waver between these two mindsets? You know, you can tell who you serve by who you obey. There's a lot of declarations of, I serve God, but if you obey your flesh, you serve your flesh. I serve God. I, I serve Him. But whatever you obey, is, it, it, it tells on you, on who you really serve. It says in, in the second part of verse 21, it says, but the people said nothing. I, I just want you to know this. This is not the time for the church to be silent. This is the time for the church to be counted. This is not the time for the church to be passive. This is the time for the church to stand up for what they believe in, to stand for absolute truth, to stand for biblical values. This is the time for the church to make a decision that we're not going to wait and see what happens, but we are going to make a decision to stand right now. I'm telling you, we are on the cusp of history. I believe there is a great move of God that is coming to our nation. I believe there's a great move of God that's sweeping across the world, and I've seen people wonder if God's going to move or how he's going to move because some things in the natural are not lining up with their idea of how God moves. And let me just ask you this. When has God ever moved the way that we thought he was going to move? When did he ever move through the people we thought he was going to use? When did he, I mean, do you think God would have used some of the people he used in the Bible? Did you peg Moses for the deliverer? The kid that was found in the river, murdered an Egyptian and ran for his life? I wouldn't really pick him. Now we look back and we're like, well, of course, Moses. Like, why did you guys even doubt? Yeah, we, we, we don't doubt now on the other side of the choice. But this is what Elijah was telling the people. Can you make the decision now? How long will you waver? Do you have to wait for a sign? Do you got to wait to see it? Do you wait till after the battle? I, I love the NBA and I, I love watching basketball. And this, this year I watched uh, the LA Lakers win the championship, LeBron, which I think is the greatest of all time. Don't DM me. Um, one of them, okay? They, 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 because of COVID, you know, the NBA started playing in the bubble and, and all the teams were playing in, in, in that space. And the Lakers have a, a player by the name of Avery Bradley, a great player, really helped them secure the first seed in the West and, and uh, had an incredible year. But his son has some health complications, so he decided he opted out of going to the bubble. He said he's not going to play with, with the Lakers. Well, the Lakers went on and won the championship. And so their owner had been talking about it. They decided that Avery Bradley was still going to get a championship ring, even though he didn't play in the championship. And I was thinking about this this week. Like, I don't know how you'd feel wearing that ring knowing you didn't play. I mean, there's got to be some type of integrity issue where you're just like, yeah. You know, it's like you weren't there. <laughs> and you know, I think a lot of Christians are like that. We, we want the prize. 
We want, we want, we want all the hardware that says, yeah, we're on the winning team. We just don't want to win. We don't want to be in the battle. We don't want to draw the lines. We don't want to make the decision. We don't want to pray the prayers. We don't want to stand in the face of opposition. We don't want the persecution. We don't want the commitment. We just want the ring. And I'm telling you, 2020 has defined some things. This is not a participation sport. You know, this is not a participation ring. This is not a participation moment where, yeah, I was there. I was kind of a part. I went to church. No, this is, this is a frontline battle moment. This is a decision where the church has to decide, I will not waver. I'm making up my mind. I don't care if it's popular. I don't care if you follow me or unfollow me. I don't care if you block me or restrict me. I don't care what you say or how you say it. I have made up my mind. I choose him. And for too long in history, the church has waited for a verdict before we pick a side. And Elijah, in one of the greatest showdowns in biblical history, he goes now, and this is the story. He says, all right, you get the prophets of Baal. I'm going to get my people, which is me. That's what he says. He says, it's just me and 450 prophets. You know, it's interesting when, we, when you serve God, you always feel outnumbered. You ever felt like that? There's more that are against me than are for me. There's more that don't get me than do get me. But you know what? God always, he always preserves a remnant. Later, God spoke to Elijah, and he said, you said you were the only one. I've reserved 7,000 that have not bent their knee to Baal. Even when you feel like you're all alone, God's saving someone. You are not outnumbered. You are not outmatched. God knows what he's doing. God knows his plan. He hasn't deviated from it. He's right on pace. Some are like, man, we're, Lord, you're a little late. No, he's right, he's, he's right on pace for what he's doing. Might not fit our construct, but it's right on pace for what he's doing. So he goes to Mount Carmel. Elijah goes and 450 prophets of Baal. And this is what he says. He, he says, we, we are, we're going we're gonna to each take the sacrifice, the bull. We're going to cut the bull. And uh, that was my alternate title, cut the bull. But, yeah, I thought it's probably not good for Sunday. I'll keep that for youth. We're going to. But it is applicable. Uh, they're going to cut the ball. They're going to put it on each altar. And he says, the God that answers by fire, he is God. He says, the prophets of Baal begin to yell and to scream, and even to the point of cutting themselves to get Baal's attention. And it says, Elijah, you know, we would think like the spiritual thing to do would be like, well, good job. If that works for you, that's great. You know, your truth. That's not what Elijah said. Elijah's like, that's your truth? Where is he at? Hey, where's Baal? Is he on vacation? Is he quarantined? Where is he? Using the restroom? Like, what's happening? Taco Bell last night? Like, he, Elijah's making fun of him. You know what? It's like the church is so mean sometimes. And so nice in other times. It's confusing to me. We're mean to each other. And then we're nice about the truth. I know some of you are like, well, we should be nice about the truth. That doesn't mean you compromise it. How long will you waver between two opinions? Being nice doesn't lead you nicely off the cliff that will kill you. Being nice says, hey, heads up, watch out. My love says you're wrong. 
My love says you're going the wrong way. My love says there's a true way, and it's him, and he's the only way. That's what love says. Oh, be a safe space for everybody to, to say their peace. A safe space? So that people can pin problems on the wrong people and continue a process that will kill them? No, give them truth to set them free. Oh, that's what the Bible says, isn't it? That the truth will set us free. So they get up and they're cutting themselves and Elijah's making fun of them and then it's Elijah's turn. And it says he prepared the altar. I love this because the Bible says he repaired. I said prepared. The word says he he repaired. Which means there was an altar that was there, but it had been broken down. And I feel this by the Spirit of God, that God's repairing the altar in His church. The altar is a place of consecration. It is a place, it's not popular anymore. It it is a place of consecration that says, I am going to prepare, I have a prepared place for you, God. My life is prepared for you. My heart is prepared for you. That this is not, this life isn't for me. An altar isn't self-serving. It actually destroys self. It is not self, it, it, it does not make you popular. It is the opposite. He says he, he repaired the altar to prepare it for the sacrifice. And then they put the bowl on the altar and they prepared the sacrifice. They prepared the, you, you know what this life is? This is, this is going to sound really it's going to sound really super spiritual, but I'll explain it. This life that God's called us to be is a life of sacrifice. You're not supposed to say that in American Christianity, but it's still true. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. One of my pet peeves is when people say they're trying to find themselves. I mean, it just gets me. It just, just irritates me. Pastor, I just need some time to just like find myself. Find yourself? Have you ever read your Bible? The only way to find yourself is to lose yourself. No, that's, that's, that's it. That's the only way it happens is when I lose sight of me. That's when I really begin to find what life is all about. That's why everything the world is doing is not working. That's why everything the world is propagating is not producing. Because anything that preserves me will only only end in me. But when I lose me. I begin to find him and the true meaning. This is, this is, this is wild. If we're going to redeem the year in the year, we need, this is, this is what we need. We need a fresh altar, which means we got to start preparing our lives, preparing ourselves. We need a fresh sacrifice to fresh surrender. God, my life's yours. My heart's yours. And then this is what's awesome. The Bible says that fire came down from heaven. And it burnt that sacrifice, and it burnt that altar, and Elijah had put some water on it because he he liked to brag, so he threw some water on it too because he wanted to make sure no one said he was cheating. He said, that thing should not burn. But the fire came down and consumed the water, the sacrifice, the altar, everything. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week, and he said, Dustin, if you'll prepare the place, and if you'll be the sacrifice, I will bring the fire. The fire represents God's power 
his ability, his empowering. You know, you can say fire in, 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 in certain Christian circles and people get really excited. It's like the fire guy. You know, it's like we'll get, we'll get fired up real quick. But, but, but when we talk about fire, I don't, I don't want you to lose what that means for us. It's his presence. The Bible says he's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. So if I prepare my life and I lay that life down as a sacrifice, that means when I surrender, I yield my rights to this life, what I should have, how people should treat me, how they should talk about When I yield that, he will produce the fire. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's going to give you his power. He gave his Holy Spirit. When Jesus left, he said, it's better for me to leave so that I can send my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the helper. Another sign of the Holy Spirit is fire. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, they were all together in one place. So they had the place, the altar. They were surrendered. They had the sacrifice. And the fire of God fell. The, the Holy Spirit came, and the Bible says that they saw like, seemed like tongues of fire over each of their heads. So the place was there, the sacrifice was there, and the fire fell. What was that fire? You will receive power to be my witnesses. So God gave them what they needed to fulfill his plan. But what, what, what preceded it was a place and a sacrifice. I'm going to tell you this. This is what God's doing. To redeem the year in the year, we have to make commitment as people of God, not just the church, not just pastors, as the people of God, that we're going to have fresh altars, that every single day we are making a fresh altar, a place of consecration, that there's a place of fresh sacrifice. God, this life is not mine. It's yours. I surrender it to you. I give it to you. Even if God's operating out of the construct of how I think he should operate, out of the timing of how I think he should operate, I surrender it to you. And if I'm faithful with the place and I'm faithful with the sacrifice, God will be faithful with the fire. With the fire. Verse 38 of 1 Kings chapter 18, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I want you to see this. Everybody picked, everybody made up their mind after the sign came. The haters were saying, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, the Lord, He is God. The doubters were saying, the Lord, He is, the Lord, He's God. The Lord, because they saw something. Do you know what our world needs? Way less arguing on social media. Way less evangelism that hits people over the head and way less hypocrisy says one thing and does another way less political parties that rival against each other and fight against each other and way more signs signs what is the sign what is the evidence that God's doing something in and through our life pick a sign you know what we're fighting some people that are on our side there is friendly fire going on in the, in the Christian camp, 
in, in, in the churches, there's friendly fire. Pick a side. How long will you waver between two opinions? This is my challenge. It is time to pick a side. And this is what I'm challenging you personally. You've got to pick the right side. You've got to pick a side that says, I will not associate and I will not be owned by fear anymore. I choose faith. I will not be owned by discouragement or depression anymore. I choose faith. I'm stopping to waver between restaurants. I'm stopping wavering between mindsets. I'm going to choose the truth of God's word. What about what I feel? What you feel is real, but what you feel doesn't have to be a prophet or prophesy your future. What you feel is real, but what you decide, what you decide, this is the power of the mind, what you decide, what you choose. God, I choose your truth over what I feel. I choose your promise over what I see. I choose to believe you in the midst of uncertainty. I choose to trust you in the midst of a difficult time. I choose it. I choose over and over and over again until it creates such a rhythm and such a pattern in your life that no negativity can come near you. There's no more wavering. You picked your side. There's nothing worse than somebody that can't pick a side. Man, I'll tell you, people, people just like, Fairweather fans, y'all need like extra grace. This team's winning, so I'm over here. This team's winning, and I'm over here. Christianity's popular, so I'm Christian. Christianity's not popular, so I'm not. Truth is popular, so I am truth soldier. Truth is not popular. So I disappear. How long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, if something else owns you, then follow. Elijah just said, make up your mind. Make up your mind. I, I don't know who this is for, but I believe this. I believe today is going to shift something in your own heart. And whenever you feel those negative thoughts or negative feelings, you're just going to decide, you know what? I'm not going to waver anymore. I'm choosing this. I'm choosing to love when people hurt me. I'm choosing to forgive when people betray me. I'm choosing to trust even though my heart's been broken. I, I choose it. I decide it. I choose to minister even though some people are not grateful. I choose to love in, in, in the midst of opposition. I choose, I choose, I choose. It's a decision. How long will you waver? Choose. Choose. You know, there's so much power in our decisions. So much power in the things that we choose. When we decide to align ourselves with truth. And this is what I want to do as we close. Is I want to take a couple minutes. And I want, to, I want you to allow, I want to allow you to just pick a side. As we worship, I just want you in your own mind. Whatever is your bail. Whatever that thing that tries to own you, tries to captivate you, tries to tempt you. Whatever that thing is. I, I, I just want you to choose. Choose life. Choose joy. Choose truth. Choose hope. Can I just say this just, just from my heart? Let's get excited about what God's doing again. Let's get excited about his plan on the earth. Let's stop getting bogged down. God's still going to move. No matter what happens, God's still moving. God's still, God's still moving. The kingdom of God is still advancing. God, I believe this. I believe there's a great move of God. I said this earlier, I'll say it again. I believe there's a great move of God that's coming to our nation that we have not seen yet. I believe we're in the beginning stages of it. You know why I think we're in the beginning stages? Because it doesn't look anything like this. And it seems like when, when the days are darkest and the uncertainty is at its height, 
God is on, he is on the edge, about ready to break out. Breakthrough happens at the place of greatest tension. If I had a pencil, I was going to break it. The break would happen at the place of greatest tension. Where tension is applied, breakthrough is soon to follow. I'll tell you, we've got some tension. But I want to prophesy to your life. I want to prophesy to your family. I want to prophesy to your finances. I want to prophesy to your mental health. I want to prophesy to your marriages and to your children. That breakthrough is about to happen. Come on, stand up with me all across this place.